Um, I'll get us going here. Before I read the text, a few words of, of introduction. We, we've now reached the, the fourth and final section in our series, Christ and Him Crucified. Um, I'm actually going to spend, I believe, one more week here. Um, so we, we kind of got a couple more messages at this last, last point uh, of this series. We've noted up to this point the centrality of the cross, right? We've noted that the cross of Christ is God's solution to man's deepest problem. And therefore, Paul, 1 Corinthians 2.2, decides to know nothing among us, among the Corinthians, except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Message number two, we noted the conquest of the cross, namely, that the cross, at the cross, Jesus accomplishes a salvation that He then freely gives to us by grace, through faith, in union. Last week, we looked at the calling of the cross in this idea that we actually got into Christ to share in the spoils of His victory by the sovereign calling of Almighty God. Called us from the graves of our unbelief into faith, union, fellowship, life in His Son. You remember 1 Corinthians 1.30 because of God we are in Christ Jesus. But now, we've got to ask the question. We start to get into the 21st century here, and we ask, what does this union, sovereignly forged by God, that brings into view the accomplishments of Christ on the cross that is central in all of history, What does this union with Him look like in yours and my life today, now, this week? How is it supposed to affect the way we think, the way we feel, the way we live, the way we talk to one another, rub shoulders with co-workers? How should it evidence itself? Because it will be my contention that the spoils of Christ's victory and His conquest on the cross aren't just supposed to be kind of deposited in the bank to be withdrawn upon entrance into the new heavens and new earth. But that when He gives us His righteousness, sanctification, redemption in Him, He intends to make us a new humanity, to change us. So that ought to have effects on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and every day of our lives. So I want to know, this message and next, what does this union look like? I'm hearing some kids. You hearing that? I saw your face. You're like, like, is that mine? It could be mine. It probably is mine. Fire, see, you guys did the fireworks, huh? That's what it is. <laughs> That's great. Oh, um, it has been my main thesis, and you'd see it even on the top of your handouts. It's kind of my aim here in this service, or in this series, that we are to be a cross-centered church so that we might become more and more of a cross-cultured church. Okay? So what I'm going to be after here this morning is saying that the more cross-centered we are in our theology, the more cross-cultured we are in our practice. Let me, let me help you understand what I mean by cross-culture. I don't mean we're just against secular, American, or whatever culture. I mean we as a church are a culture patterned after, a culture that looks like the cross we proclaim and trust in. We start to look like Jesus. That's my very quick thesis answer to the question, what does this union look like? I'm going to spend this uh, morning and next defending and displaying it. Okay? Now, let's get into 1 Corinthians 4, 
We're going to read verses 8 through 13. I'll give you a moment to get there. After I've done, after I've read it, we will uh, pray and get going. First Corinthians four. Oh, that's true. Does anybody need a Bible? Please raise your hands and keep it if you uh, don't have one. First um, Corinthians four. So it goes: Acts, Romans, First Corinthians, chapter four, verse eight. Here we go. Already. You have all you want. He's speaking to the Corinthians here. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world. The refuse of all things. Would you pray with me here before we get going? God, we know that no one comes to the Son except for those whom the Father draws. We know that we see in Christ the wisdom and power the glory of God because of Your awakening power. And I'm praying today Would you awaken? Would you draw in this room people to yourself? And you know what? This has implications for us believers as well. We need you to help us see you. We need you to help us feel you. We need you to help us hear your voice in this text here this morning. We need your encouragement We need your grace. I need you, Lord, to be with my mouth, my mind, my heart, and help me get out of the way so you can do the work in this people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you will notice uh, that we have moved on from the text we've been reading each Sunday for the past three weeks, namely 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through uh, chapter 2, verse 2. But we are not so much moving on from that text as much as we are building up upon it. Okay, Everything that Paul did there in the beginning of Corinthians is, is with a view to the discussion he's aiming to have throughout the rest of the book. He gives us some very high-level theology there in the opening chapters, and we've unpacked a lot of it, I hope. But all of that is because he's now going to get low level with them, ground level, and deal with their lives. How are you living in light of this? Cross-centered theology should always lead us to cross-cultured application. So this morning... As we look at our text here in 1 Corinthians 4, what I want to do is I'm going to try to defend this idea of the Christian cross-culture. And I'm going to do that by making note of four things. First, striking contrast in our text. Striking contrast. Second, a surprising parallel. Third, a doctrinal divergence. And fourth, a cruciform imitation. Now, in our text, Paul sets up a striking contrast immediately. 
Okay, so I hope you do have a Bible because you're going to need it. We're going to be looking. Uh, we're going to be looking in depth at it. I don't like people looking at me, anyways. I prefer we're looking at the text. So I want you to see this. Paul is setting up a striking contrast between the Corinthians, the you in our text, with the apostles. Um, as you see in verse 9, he says, us apostles, and then we elsewhere in our text refers to Paul and the apostles like him. So I want to gather what's said about each of these groups and then make some initial observations here. So go with me to verse 8. We're going to read just the first part of it. The first three sentences there says this. Here's the Corinthians. I want to see what are the Corinthians like? How is Paul setting them up for us? says this, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. First thing to note is the time stamp that Paul puts on this. Do you notice? Already, he says. Already you have all you want. Already you're rich. And even when he says without us, it kind of implies already, as if they've gone ahead and gotten something already that the apostles don't yet have. So there's this time stamp in Paul's contrast that's going to be very important as we go along, because what we find, what we find is where the Corinthians go wrong isn't so much in what they, what they claim to have as much as when they claim to have attained it. Okay, that's going to be the big issue as we go along. So note the already there in verse 8, showing up twice. Now, as you go through the text, you might note already you have all you want. All you want. What that's pointing us to, actually, the word that Paul uses, points to this idea of being filled with food. being satisfied, being full. I don't need any more. Like a, after a big meal, you know, at the Cheesecake Factory, and you you got to do the whole belt buckle thing. I have all I want. I'm done. I'm full. No needs here. And then this idea is only amplified by saying that they've already become rich. They have everything they need. And they're kings. They're on these thrones. Okay? That's where the Corinthians are at. And I think we're meant to hear the Beatitudes behind this. As Paul's giving this discussion, I think he wants us to kind of read into it a sarcastic kind of rebuke. Because you remember the Beatitudes with me, right? Where you got the idea of being poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, the Corinthians are saying, we're rich. We got all we need. They said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. They're saying, we have it all. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. We're full. (laughs) This is great. We're reigning. We're kings. There's no persecution here. Blessed are those who were persecuted for my namesake. I think we're supposed to see something is going wrong in what the Corinthians are claiming for themselves to have already. You might think of the church to Laodicea in Revelation 3 where Jesus gives that that rebuke and it's, it's a trembling sort of rebuke. He says this, I will spit you out of my mouth for you say, I am rich, I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. And he goes on to say, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Implication here? Corinthians already sitting on the throne, already rich, already have it all. Jesus is saying, they're still conquering to be done. You're not yet here. I'm here, but you're still there. There is conquering to be done. What are you doing on the throne already? Now, in uh, verse 9, the apostles are formally introduced and the contrast is invoked. Here's what we see. Verse 9, Paul and the apostles now being brought into view. I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. 
like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. You see the difference here? You see what's already being set up. While the Corinthians are claiming to already be kings and to have gone on ahead without the apostles, Paul is saying, we are last of all. We, the one whom Jesus has chosen to represent Him, are last. And then he goes on. He says, we're not like kings sitting on thrones. We're more like criminals sentenced to death. The imagery here would be like those criminals that the Romans would parade through the streets as objects of derision for people to mock and and, and, and scoff and laugh at. Or even perhaps some commentators think the idea of the gladiators where these condemned men would be brought in before an audience to die for entertainment. So here's the contrast. Corinthians are saying we are kings in this world now. Paul is saying we're like the people that the kings in this world now put to death. Which one's on the right side of this equation here? I think we know the answer. And we move on into verse 10. And this contrast is sharpened. It says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. So note with me here the contrast again. While the Corinthians are claiming to be wise, the apostles are fools for Christ's sake. While the Corinthians are claiming to be strong, the apostles are weak. You remember those two key words from 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, right? Wisdom and power. They're on the wrong side of this antithesis here, the Corinthians are. While the Corinthians are held in honor and glorious, the apostles are in disrepute or dishonored or shamed. While the Corinthians are false and satisfied, The apostles hunger and thirst. While the Corinthians are robed as kings and living comfortably in their palaces, the apostles say that they are poorly dressed. They're beaten. They're homeless. They don't have a home. They don't have a royal robe. They're living in rags, living in holes in the ground. You remember Hebrews 11. Read that again in in light of what we're studying today. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Remember that? While the Corinthians are sitting on their thrones, letting others serve them, the apostles are laboring with their own hands. And the word there, laboring to the point of weariness. And the image invoked is the idea of slavery. The idea of the way that slaves and servants would work. That's what the apostles are doing. The contrast is incredibly sharp. You got kings on thrones being served, and you got people on their hands and knees doing the serving. And where kings and armies to attack gather armies to attack and defend themselves from their enemies, the apostles are blessing and enduring those who slander and persecute them. Blessing. Not gather the troops. This guy said something offensive to me. These guys are trying to take my kingdom. Gather the troops. It's war. No, no, no. Bless you. We endure. We love you. It's the apostles. And then finally, the contrast reaches its climax there. The last part of verse 13 when he says these words. We have become and are still like the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. But that's not what you want to say about yourself. That's not good for your self-esteem. Paul, you just you need to pray. Paul needs to see a psychologist. 
He's so down on himself. But he gets it. He understands his place. He understands the state of this world that he's in. And we'll get there in a moment. But I want you to know for now, the words that he chooses to use there, the image, uh, there's a lot of images invoked in the language that Paul's using. The image is this idea of the filth that's removed after a thorough cleaning. Okay? The stuff that you just discard. Woo! Throw it away. I've got to clean my carpet, my rug. And, you know, you get those little things where the water runs through and then all that filthy stuff gets in the compartment. That's the apostles in there. The filth. That's what he's saying. Scum, refuse. That's where they are. Corinthians are kings. We are dirt. Now, underneath the surface of this striking contrast, you see the contrast pretty pretty clearly. You probably didn't need me to do any of this to help you see that. This was just for emphasis. Underneath the striking contrast is a surprising parallel that I imagine most of us again see, but some of us might not. And that is that underneath we see this link being forged between the apostles and their Savior. They don't look anything like the Corinthians, but they look an awful lot like Jesus and His cross. And we see numerous connections. Paul is trying to say, what are you doing entering into glory? This is what your Savior looked like here. This is what we are to look like here. This is what union with Christ should look like. This link is is first hinted at uh, back actually where we were in, in 1 Corinthians 2. You see it there in 2, 3, and 4, where after Paul says, I've decided to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. In other words, while the cross that he preached and proclaimed was looked like foolishness and weakness to the world, the life that he lived also was weakness and foolishness to the world. The message and the manner of the messenger are one and the same. He lives, he represents the gospel, the cross that he proclaims. But that, that hint at a link here reaches a fever pitch in our text in in 1 Corinthians 4. And I want to show you the parallels. We're not talking differences anymore, but similarities between the apostles and Christ. We know that Jesus was sentenced to death as a criminal, paraded through the streets to be mocked at, crucified on a hill. Why? So that people could look and see what a joke. And they could have fun hurling their accusations at Him. Rolling dice or whatever it was for His garments. It's a show. It's fun. He's a criminal. Condemned. Sentenced to death. We know that His crucifixion was foolishness and weakness. That no one, no one looked, even the disciples without the Spirit, looked, no one saw what God was doing. The two on the road to Emmaus, ah, we thought He was the one. Bummer! He was going to deliver us. Then Jesus opens their eyes, and hearts burning within me. He is the one. But nobody saw it. Foolishness and weakness. His crucifixion. We know that He was held in disrepute. Isaiah 53 talks about how He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him. No beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men. Dishonor, shame, that's His life story. Man of sorrows. He is the Beatitudes. And his life is the movement from 
the beatitude to the re, to the re, the blessed are the to the for they shall receive. Put it that way. We know that on the cross he cried out, "What I thirst, I thirst," and he was given sour wine. And the psalm that's referenced there talks about how also he was given poison for his food. That gave me poison for my hunger and sour wine for my thirst. I got nothing here. Empty. Corinthians full, satiated. Jesus and the apostles, empty. Nothing. We know that he was stripped naked and exposed, put to shame on that cross. We know he was beaten. The word used for buffeted there in the ESV to describe the apostles is the same word used to describe what the Sanhedrin, Jesus' own people, do to Him. They spit in His face and struck or beat or buffeted Him. And some slapped Him. Apostles are reliving Jesus' story here. representing His cross to the world. We know that He was homeless. The foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Corinthians in palaces. I'm on the ground. We know that He labored like a slave. He says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. We know that when He was reviled and persecuted and slandered, He blessed. You remember on the cross. I mean, this is, this is, this is what sets Jesus apart. I mean, this, only God in the flesh could do this. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the love that I have for them. And that all of this, though they think I'm the joke and I'm the condemned and I'm the convicted, they're the condemned. This is for them. They are looking at what they deserve. But Father, no bitterness here. Forgive them. Blessed those who persecute. And finally, we know that he became the scum, the refuse of the world. Talking about thorough cleaning and the filth that's removed. You want to know how you and I got clean? You want to know how we got washed in the water of His Word like a bride, it says there in Ephesians 5, so we could be presented spotless before Him on that day? You want to know how that happened? He took all of our filth, all of our scum, all of our dirt on Himself, and He was treated like that filthy... Just throw this down the drain. It's gross. Get it out of here discarded Him like something filthy so that we could look like something clean. And we know all of this about our Savior. Maybe for some it's new. This is our gospel. This is our hope. But maybe we don't realize, maybe we didn't know that we are actually called to look like Him, like He did while He was here. The parallels between the apostles and Christ, especially His crucifixion and suffering, crystal clear. The cross is not only the way of salvation for us, it is a way of life. It's how our union looks in the 21st century in a fallen world so why why does Paul give this catalog of all of his sufferings I mean, think about it think about when you give 
a list of your sufferings to people that are close to you. You're like, you know, how was your day? Oh, it was just this and this. Or sometimes they don't even ask for it and you're ready to just kind of give this catalog, this list of ways that things are going. Is it, is Paul just giving us a list because he's kind of bitter and bummed out? And he wants somebody to acknowledge that he's got the raw end of the deal. The Corinthians have it good and he's got, he's got the, the, the bum end of the stick. No, that's not it. Is it because he's arrogant and he's thinking that he's better and let me give this list so the Corinthians, you can fall into line because I am the leader here? I'm a more mature, stronger Christian. Is that what it's about? No. What it's about at bottom is, Corinthians, you got to wake up. you got to wake up. You have been deceived. You're buying into the values and judgments of this world. And you don't look anything like the cross. Union with Christ is manifested in such a way that you look like the cross here. Don't get His glory too soon. Now, both the Corinthians, in case you're wondering where we are, we've hit striking contrast, surprising parallel. We're going to move a little quicker here now. Uh, as we look at doctrinal divergence and um, cruciform imitation. First, doctrinal divergence. I want to know why, if both the Corinthians and the apostles are claiming Christ, the apostles say we're fools for Christ's sake. The Corinthians are saying, hey, we're wise in Christ. It's because of Christ that we're rich. Because of Christ that we're kings, right? He's reigning. (laughs) He's reigning. We're kings. We got it all. If they're both claiming Christ as the basis for their lifestyle and the way their union with Him is being evidenced or manifested in this life, what went wrong? Who's on the wrong side here? What happened? This starts to come to a point in 1 Corinthians 15. But I want us to remember, actually before you turn there, I want us to to remember the issue of timing. I'm going to set us up for Paul's discussion in, in 1 Corinthians 15 by just for a moment, timing. Okay, I said that was huge. I want you to make note of it there in 1 Corinthians 4 because I didn't do much of it. We, we did talk about the already of the Corinthians. Okay, We didn't talk much about where the, where, where, how Paul emphasizes his timing because he comes down and he says, while you are already kings... He says, we have become apostles. There in verse 13, we have become, and he emphasizes this, and are still scum and refuse. Are still. He wants to make sure they know we haven't moved on from this yet. You have. We have not. We are still scum, even though we are in Christ. Or he says up in verse 11, even to the present hour we hunger and thirst. He emphasizes time, even to this hour. We're not moving beyond this yet. Time is very important. It's not so much what the Corinthians claim to have, it's when they claim to have attained it. Okay. Now, what then accounts for this difference? Why, why um, did the Corinthians go so wrong? Here's what you see, 1 Corinthians 15, 12. It's a discussion of the resurrection, discussion of last things and what's to come. It says this about their theology. If you don't think doctrine matters, believe me, it does. It affects your life in ways you will not even understand. And Paul is teasing out implications here and showing them, listen, this, this is what is at root. It says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 12. This is the basis for the Corinthians already. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So the Corinthian church, for whatever reason, are saying, maybe Christ was raised from the dead, but there's no resurrection for us. There's no resurrection of the body for us. This is their theology at this point. And Paul is saying, whoa, 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 what is going on? We don't know the details of all this. I'm not going to wade into it. But all we do know is that 
what seems to be the effect is that they are thinking that because bodies, because physical things aren't being resurrected, it means that the the victory, the triumph that Christ achieved in His resurrection should come back to us physically now. Therefore, their kind of lifestyle in, um, where is it? Uh, Verse 32 of 1 Corinthians 15 is eat and drink. Let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It's all about this life. It's all about here and now. If there's no resurrection of the body, let's get full now. Let's become kings now. We want all of his victory and stuff on earth now. That's what's happening with the Corinthians. It's as if they are trying to kind of pull back in the new heavens and new earth to experience it here physically today rather than what we will see with Paul, waiting, anticipating, pressing on towards the new heavens and new earth and the glories that come with resurrection. So this is the Corinthians already and their basis for it. I want to look at the basis for Paul's theology and the what you might call not yet. That there's a lot that's come to us in Christ, but most in the spiritual dimension. And we are not yet actually seated on the throne with Him and enjoying the fullness that we will on that day. This is his reasoning. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 is where we're going to read. It says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he calls them the first fruits. I'm just going to make, make comments as we go. The first fruits. What he means there is this is Jesus is going to be the first kind of the initial movement of something that's going to follow behind later the greater harvest that's to come. So there's something that's already happened, but there is something that's not yet happened. Jesus is the first fruits of this resurrection that is coming for us. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each... In his own order. Here's timing again. Each in his own order. Christ goes first into that glory seated on the throne and we come behind him later. Christ the first fruits, he says, then, when? At his coming. So later, not yet, he hasn't returned yet. At his coming, those who belong to Christ. Verse 24. Then comes the end. So at His coming, then comes the end. When He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until, there's His time stamp, until He has put all enemies under His feet. Which, by implication, He has not yet done. Because it says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Are people still dying? It's tragic every day. People you know, people I know, last week, two weeks ago, dead. People still dying. But what's going on? Is he reigning? Yes. Is he reigning in full? Not yet. Until his return, this world will still be upside down. You recall that from the first message? Inverted. And things don't get right side up until you read in verses 27 and 8 when it says, then God will be all in all and the order will be reestablished. Then we go on to read that the children of God will inherit the kingdom of God. That's verse 50. And they will put on like royal robes, immortality and imperishability. So you want to know when we will become kings, when we will inherit the kingdom. It's not yet, Corinthians. 
It's coming with His return when He puts the last enemy under His feet and raises us up with Him from the dead and we will be seated in physical new heavens and new earth enjoying His glory and reign. And we will know the other side of the Beatitudes, the fullness and inheriting the earth and everything else, the riches and the blessing. But until then, I die every day. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31. One theology leads to let us eat and drink and get our fill. Christ is raised, man. It's great. He suffered so I don't have to. The other theology, I die every day. The power of Christ's resurrection life streams back to us from the throne by His Spirit. And here's here's what happens. When resurrection life enters an inverted and upside down world, it doesn't negate our crucifixion suffering. It empowers it. It enables it. If in this upside-down world, the, the, the wisdom and power of the cross looks like foolishness and weakness. The resurrection Christ looks like, looks like death. The new life actually prepares us to die. If they hated Him, they will hate us. This world has not yet been turned right side up. That's coming. For now... Our shame is our glory and a sign that we're on the right path. Our suffering is our joy. Our foolishness is our wisdom. Our weakness is our power. That is the evidence of our union with Him, that we are a cross-cultured church. He called us out of the world to Himself, into His victory, but He left us in it. And the world is not yet the new heavens and new earth and our right side up. Resurrection life will look like crucifixion death in this fallen and flipped world. Which is why Paul would say later to the Philippians, have you ever wondered about it? This is Philippians 3, 10 through 11. He earlier says, I count everything as loss. Everything. Just loss. Whatever gain I had in a worldly sense, loss. Then he says this, Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him, Jesus, and the power of His resurrection. The power of His resurrection. But what does that power enable me to do? That I may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Resurrection power from our Savior enables us to look like His body of death here, that we may be raised with Him at the right time when He comes again in the twinkling of an eye and inherit the kingdom and reign over the new heavens and new earth. We don't want to bring that back in Now, we're going to end here. The cruciform imitation. I imagine some crafty readers and listeners are looking at this text going, okay, I see the apostles here. (laughs) They're suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see how that connects to Jesus. Okay, okay. I see you. But I don't see me anywhere. Maybe this is just for the apostles, the ones who were supposed to bring the message to their, to their early church, and I, I get to enjoy kind of the fruits of their sufferings. <laughs> no. Keep reading. Down in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 4, after talking about all of his sufferings, he says, I am like a father to you, 
I begot you in the gospel now, now. 1 Corinthians 4, 16. Be imitators of me as... Oh, I'm sorry. I urge you then, be imitators of me. We say, oh, there it is. There I am. I'm supposed to imitate this one who is the scum and refuse of the world. And in case we miss that later in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. There's all of our parallels. There they all are. There's Christ, His suffering, Paul, His suffering, and now me. Imitating them. Union with Christ. Those who are truly cross-centered will look like Him and be cross-cultured. Now, it was at like 1 a.m. in my study last night, actually, that I realized, <laughs> bear with me. I, I'm getting back in the flow of preaching. <laughs> and, and, and I put all this time into all this theology. And then I like have a minute for application. And I was like, oh my goodness, the last part of my preparation is the most important part. And it has to be that way, though, because you can't start making applications before you know what God's Word says. So you're sharpening this point, and then, okay, now this is, in my opinion, the most important part of this message, and I got a couple minutes to do it. And some of you are like, couple minutes? I thought you were done five minutes ago. <laughs> this is where we realize this isn't just a Bible study, getting doctrine right. This is where we realize that God is in this room. And He is after yours and my life. He wants all of us. And He comes in through this text and He says, okay, okay, which kingdom are you in? Which kingdom are you living for? Is it the kingdom that the Corinthians claim is already here? The let us eat, let us drink. I should have riches and prosperity and fullness because Christ died in my place, rose to victory, and I get to enjoy it. Or are you in the kingdom of the cross? The kingdom that is already in a spiritual sense, but not yet because not everything has been turned right side up. And He's not returned for us. Which kingdom are you in in your living room, in your workplace, when slander comes, when somebody doesn't like what you did, has something to say about your work, or has something to say about the way you did or didn't do the dishes, or whatever it might be, when slander comes, is what rises up, ooh, i got to defend myself. i got to put this person back in their place. That's what happens with me. I tell you what. Oh, God, it's terrible. Or is it? I know the acquittal I have before the courtroom of heaven because of what Jesus did. And I call on His resurrection power. Jesus, help me now to see this not as some little spot in my day, but an opportunity to show the cross to my boss, co-worker, spouse, kids. An opportunity to show the glory of your grace, the grace you showed to me. And though persecuted or slandered or whatever it might be, I bless, I endure. Because I know this isn't supposed to be where I sit on a throne. This is where I suffer with you. Or with your money. With your money. I'm not saying this because we need your money. We don't, don't care about your money. I mean, we do, but yet we don't. I want you to think about it. When the account gets a little tight and you're watching the lines, you go, ooh, I don't know, and someone expresses a need. You kind of lips purse up and immediately your mind starts racing. How do I get out of this? What kind of excuse can I make here? (laughs) 
I confess it happens to me. Oh, that doesn't fit within my budget. We've already kind of done our gifting and tithing. (laughs) No, 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 no. Hold on. The way of the cross says we are willing to become poor and homeless, hungry and thirsty so that we might know more of His sufferings and we might show more of them to others because we know the riches we have freely in Him. And so like, I think it's Hebrews, I can't remember, where they they give all their stuff even beyond their means because they know, they know that they're headed to a better city. They know that this is not their home. They know that the resurrection to glory is coming. We can be homeless here for a few years. We can give our stuff away a few years if it means we get to know more of Jesus and He gets to be known by more people. Can keep rolling with it all in there. But at the end of the day, this is when we hit our knees and we beg God, please grant me your resurrection power that I might walk the crucifixion road. Are you trying to skate around it? Are you asking Him for strength? Let me share in your sufferings that I might share in your glory. People that have really walked that tension will end their prayers the way that Paul ends this book. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. Our Lord, come. If your theology says the right side up world where we inherit the kingdom and actually have fullness and, 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 and physical abundance and is coming with his return and you're really living the crucifixion road, you will beg him like the end of this book, like the end of the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus, that is our prayer, that is our hope. It's coming. So suffer well. And show, show people the glory of the cross in your life. This week I pray. Thank you for your time. Let's pray. Jesus, I realize that that, that some of these things might come off like hard words, but I know, oh I know, you have... You have so much love and concern for us in this sort of exhortation. It is not loving to let your children play in the middle of the freeway. It's not their home. It's not where they belong. You are calling us to yourself. And you want us to press into the fellowship we can enjoy as we walk with you, Lord. Please, would you give us the strength this week, wherever you're calling us to die every day, would you help us to do it by the power of your resurrection and our union with you? God, we know that um, the only way we have the power to live the way you're calling us to live here is if we see the glory and the riches that are ours in you. So they're like the man who, for the joy he, and the, of the treasure he found in the field, sold everything. We would count all his loss to know you, Lord. We pray you would do that in us this week. Thank you for our time. It's just the beginning of our worship. It's in your name we pray. Amen.